Hey all welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren, I'm your host. Today I've got another great guest. I have Mr. James Peisker. He is a co-founder of Porter Road Online Meat Providers uh, and also Porter Road Butcher Shop in Nashville, Tennessee. Porter Road's one of the best online meat providers out there. I'll be right back with James. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter. Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren, I'm your host, and today I've got another great guest, Mr. James Peisker, James Peisker, co-founder of the uh, Porter Road Meats online meat purveyor. Uh, James, welcome to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us where you're from and what you do? Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and uh, talk about cooking today and talk about meats. Um, so I'm James Peisker. Um, I am a co-founder of Porter Road, which is the country's only whole animal online butcher shop. So we specialize in being uh, beyond uh, just an average meat company. We actually digitize the whole experience of going to your old school butcher shop, working with your butchers and uh, getting the best meat that you can in the entire country. So we have developed over the last decade, my business partner, Chris Carter and I, um, we started as a farmer's market booth 10 years ago and saved our pennies and worked our way up. And uh, now we have a small brick and mortar butcher shop in Nashville, Tennessee, a wholesale company and uh, the online website, porterroad.com, which delivers life-changing meat directly to your front door. And uh, our whole philosophy is that uh, it raised better, it tastes better. And that starts with the farmer. And I work directly with our farmers. I have a great relationship. I talk to them usually daily. Um, we have developed uh, the way that our animals are raised, what they're fed in a very unique, special way. And, um, you know, everything stout starts out on the field. So we, we make sure everything's 100% pasture-raised with no antibiotics or no added hormones at all, that they're fed a really nutritious diet um, that's closer to its natural diet. Um, we do grain feed them. It's not 100% grass-fed because we feel like that, that flavor and that marbling is necessary. And we want to change the world with our meat and we want to change the way that the meat industry works. And you have to do that with flavor. So okay. let's back up a little bit and um, we'll get into some of this stuff down the road, but I want to back up you said you've been doing this with your partner for 10 years. Now, what did you do before you got interested in butchering? And, oh, um, way back. Uh, so yeah. I've, been, I've been working uh, in the restaurant industry since I was 14 years old. I started as a, a host and busboy when I was 14 at a diner across the street from my house in St. Louis. And um, since then, I just kind of fell in love with food and cooking and the whole restaurant industry as a whole. And by the time I was 16, I was cooking. Now, I can appreciate that because I started the same exact way. I mean, I, I think I started when I was 12 or 13, you know, working part-time for a local restaurant, cleaning up, you know, on the weekends for the lady that owned the restaurant. And then 
when I moved to Florida, I started out as a dishwasher, worked my way up, you know, uh, to a cook. I think I was cooking when I was like 17 as well. And I was in the restaurant business for probably the first 10 years of my, you know, working career until I figured out I didn't want to work in restaurants. It wasn't a good career to work in <laughs> if you wanted to have a real life and make, you know, money that you can support a family on. So I got into banking, but I spent a good 10 years, you know, like you, I started, you know, at the bottom and, and got into cooking and it really, you know, watching my mom cook, you know, and helping my mom in the kitchen got my love for food. So that's kind of what sold me on it as well. So I can definitely uh, appreciate that. So yeah, you, I mean, were, it, it develops a solid base for people, which, you know, I feel like a lot of people don't get nowadays when they go into the culinary world or into the industry. And I think it's with a solid base like that, you know, like people like you and me, we find our passion, we find our love and we stick to it, you know. But then, you know, I talk to others that after a while, when you're in the restaurant business, you can kill your love of cooking and food. <laughs> if you, you know, work, you know, the many hours and, you know, you go to work for a, a bad chain or something where you're, you know, not able to make money to live on and you're working, you know, uh, doing things that you don't want to do, but it's still, you know, I never had that happen to me. I just figured out early on, it wasn't something I could you know, raise a family on. I had to work two jobs, you know, to support it. So from the restaurant industry, how did you jump over to the, the butchery? Um, so I ended up uh, moving back to St. Louis after I went to the Culinary Institute of America in uh, Hyde Park, New York. Um, and I got a job and worked for a man named Gerard Kraft. And I worked for his restaurant, Niche, in St. Louis. And I worked my way up pretty quickly to become one of his sous chefs. And he was all about, you know, local and freshest and the best and you know everything needed to have the most powerful flavor and that's usually you know from a smaller source and from a local person and we started getting pigs in uh and started butchering them and you know none of us were really skilled or experienced with that process but you can get such a far superior product that way um that is until porter road came around uh but so that was the way to get it and that was the way to do it and i just fell in love with it. And I, while that whole process was going down, I happened to come across a documentary called Food Inc. And I watched Food Inc. And it kind of led me down a rabbit hole. You know, it introduced me to Michael Pollan and Joel Solitin and kind of a whole different idea of thinking that wasn't just food focused and flavor focused. It was, but from a completely different angle. So starting from the farm, working with that, using regenerative agriculture, bringing flavor back into food, starting at the farm, which was a whole new concept to me because before that, you know, the last decade of my life was training on what do I do with the product here to, to make it flavorful, not to enhance the flavor that's already in it or bring out the flavors by working with somebody smaller, which was just a whole new idea and concept to me. Um, then I ended up moving with my then girlfriend, now amazing wife, uh, to Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and I met my business partner, Chris, there. I think we had known each other maybe three weeks before we ended up going into business together. Um, when we had our first, uh, uh, articles of organization written up and we were in front of a lawyer who my business partner had known for 
his entire life to sign. She put the pieces of paper on the table, slid them into us and looked at both of us and said, I just want to let you both know that this is a really bad idea. <laughs> and 10 years later, uh, the dude's my best friend and uh, we have over 50 employees in three different states and uh, we're continuing to grow and add on and we're about to triple or times five the size of our facility in uh, um, Kentucky. So well, we're just up and up. It just goes to show you that not everybody knows everything, right? Because, hey, that's, I, you know, and it, it's just like restaurants. There's, you know, how many restaurants fail in the, within the first year, but you always have those that, you know, do, you know, are successful and that, you know, you just never know. It, it's, you, you know, you got to make sure you do it right. If, you know, I've seen plenty of restaurants start out if they don't have the right concept or the right, you know, quality controls in place or the right employees, especially, you know, it's going to fail. There's no doubt about it. But um, if you've got the, you know, especially if you're the person who's putting it together, you got to have the vision and, and the ability to put it together and also the passion and the drive to make it work. So, and it sounds like that's what you guys had, you and Chris now. So your first, uh, business was selling at the farmer's markets. Is that what you said? Yeah. So Porter road butcher originally started, it was Chris and I, a pig a week. <laughs> just one pig? Just one pig a week. That was all we did. Uh, we both had side jobs. Uh, we both, you know, knew that that wasn't going to pay the bills, but we were trying to introduce our idea to the public. And uh, yeah, we would just cut it up. We'd turn it into chops, bacon, sausages. We'd make a pate a week out of it. Like we just, we had this very small limited menu and we just created this buzz. And Chris and I put on, you know, our nicest $50 suits that we have at the time and went to every bank in Nashville and they laughed us out of the bank saying, you want to put what, where? No, that's, Nobody opens butcher shops anymore. And we were trying to open it in a neighborhood, which at the time was still very up and coming. Um, you know, there was some traction and things going on, but you know, it wasn't the most sought after neighborhood in Nashville and Nashville wasn't the most sought after city at the time. Um, 10 years later, you know, lots has changed and uh, Nashville's an amazing hot city in the South and East Nashville's a, very sought after neighborhood now. So when you started, did you, were you really just dead set on not using box beef? Were you buying, uh, you know, half steers, whole steers, processing, yes. processing them yourselves and all that? Or Yeah. The entire history of Porter Road, we have never sold box beef. We've never had a piece of commodity meat enter into our stores or our system ever. Um, everything we've always done has been from small local farms that we vet very hard. Um, majority, I would say 99.9% .9 of the meat that um, has been sold through our system has uh, started as a whole animal. Uh, and over the last six years, everything um, we've done has been slaughtered at our facility and cut at our facility everything to our standards. And we know every single farmer that works into our system. We know everything we feed them, everything that goes on. And it's about the transparency and being able to, you know, look our customers in the eyes or, you know, 
come to your podcast and tell them that we do everything we can to make sure that our customers have the highest quality product that our farmers are taking care of, that our customers are taking care of, and that what everybody is getting is only the best quality products um, because that's what I want to eat and that's what I want to feed my family. So, I mean, even beyond that, everything we do, you know, it's always been whole animal. It's always been from local sources that raise it the correct way. And then our beef um, has always been dry aged for 14 days, which is something really unique to us because we have a very big aging um, house that we age whole carcasses in. And it, um, you know, dry ages, which is something incredibly unique to us. Majority of meat in this country is called wet aged, which is put into a bag and put on a shelf. Um, what we do is something very unique. We control the humidity and the temperature to create this unique flavor. Uh, and it gives the meat an opportunity to um, um, dry out a little bit which is going to evaporate out the water and intensify the flavor in the steak. Uh, it, it's more costly. It costs us more money. Our yield goes down. But for us, it's a better quality product and it's what we stand behind. And even our burgers and hot dogs are made with that same 14-day dry-aged beef. So when you're dry-aging it, though, instead of doing the subprimals or the primals, you're doing the whole, whole uh, carcass or half carcass? Yeah, so we do a half carcass for majority of the time, um, and then we'll break it down, uh, and then it'll certain parts will get continue to get aged on the rail longer, and then we'll start processing through other pieces just so our production flow can keep up with demand. Um, but everything is still getting aged, and it's getting aged to about nine days as an entire carcass. Mm-hmm. Um, which that uh, enzyme is going to be active for seven to nine days after slaughter um, in beef, which is what makes beef so unique and which is why we age beef and we don't age other animals. So you, you don't age your pork or your lamb or anything like that? We don't. We'll let it sit um, whole for three days, which if you want to call it, that is aging compared to most of the industry, but it's not like a 14 or 21, you know, we take our beef pretty, pretty far. Sometimes when we have the opportunity to, we love like 90 days, 45 days. Um, But with the new world we live in and um, the high demand for uh, online meat, we just haven't had the opportunity to play around with anything at this point, just because we're trying to make sure that the people that do want stuff are taken care of. And the people that don't want to have to go to the grocery store for meat, they're taken care of as well. So you don't necessarily raise the cows yourselves. You have local farmers that you do business with and you put your, you know, what your demands are, what, how you want them to be raised and, and all that but you do slaughter, you have your own slaughterhouse and own processing plant, correct? Yeah, so we, we do slaughter. We have a slaughter partner that we work with as well, which is our, our friends down the road, which will help um, alleviate some of our pressure. But we do all of our cutting ourselves, packing ourselves, and then shipping ourselves. Um, we are expanding. 
we're moving uh, down the road in the same town we're in in Kentucky. And like I said, that building's going to be five times the size of what we have now. So we're actually going to be able to continue to bring stuff back in house that we had to outsource to help alleviate pain. And then, you know, growing and continuing to help out other partners that we have, just like our farmer partners, they might not actually be a Porter Road employee or on the paycheck, um, but they're a part of our system, you know, and, you know, our main farmer who is kind of our um, curator of the whole thing, you know, he always says that we're in business together, whether the, the farm and the Porter Road are together as one, we're in it together because we pay a premium to our farmer to get it raised to a very specific way, which means that both of us have this crazy investment into it. And, you know, he, he puts his trust into us because you have a, you have a cattle on the pasture for two years. And he, he has a bunch of money and a bunch of time invested into that, hoping that Porter Road's gonna continue to grow and expand. And people are gonna um, continue to want to help us change the way that animals are raised. Because the alternative to it is a pretty horrific, horrendous thing. And, you know, the meat system needs to change. And some people think it is to everybody not eat meat. We don't think that is the method. It's not going to work. It's not a reality. And you need animals to regenerate the land. If you start getting rid of all the farm animals, you're not going to have a good system in place. It's going to be the only way we're going to be able to fertilize the ground is with synthetic fertilizers, which we all know the harm of adding too much of that into the system. For a nice, healthy, natural uh, system, you need farm animals and you need them raised out in the pasture and you need to harvest them and eat them. And it's a win-win system. And we just want to be a part of it and make it a bigger part of the meat industry rather than less than 1% of the meat we eat in this country raised correctly. So when you started out, you, you started out with the one pig a week and it started to catch on and you finally got some bankers to, um, you know, do their purse strings and invest in you. And, and then you had some uh, other partners go, okay, I think these guys, you know, got something going on here. How hard was it for you to start working or getting some of these farmers to partner up with you? Was it fairly easy? Was it fairly hard? Did the, you know, um, it's, it's been a mix. I mean, it's been over the past decade, it's been good, bad, ugly. There's been some bad breakups. There's been some good separations. Um, I mean, we've had to stop, uh, working with somebody instantly. My, you know, not to get too graphic, but my business partner was walking through this, the kill floor one day and, uh, saw, you know, the pig hanging on the rail and it had, it was super clean really clean feet and my business partner came and got me and he said look at that pig and I was like what and he goes look at how clean it is and I was like oh my gosh because pigs raised the right way and outside are dirty they're muddy yeah. they need to be washed off and in their hooves there's going to be rocks there's going to be mud there's going to be things because they live outside and that's what they're designed to do um so we ended up getting on the phone with that farmer said I'll be at your farm in 30 minutes uh, I'd like to see you there we got there there was not nearly as many animals that needed to be there as we were buying weekly. And at that moment we quit working with them instantly. And, you know, that dedication, you know, we didn't have pigs for a week and a half while we were scrambling, trying to find somebody and go somewhere. And, you know, it took us 
a good month to get back to where we need to be. But the dedication to the quality and the dedication to making sure that everything is right is a very hard and difficult path. But once you find the people and you can develop that trust, because again, you know, our farmers have millions of dollars of living, breathing animals on their farms at a time. Sure. And they have to trust that I'm going to pay the premium that I told them I was with a handshake. And so far, 10 years into it, I've never not told the truth to people when it comes to, well, ever. I'm a very honest person, but we develop these relationships and it's about trust and it's about, we have to have the same mission and goal. And that's about taking care of the animals, taking care of the environment and taking care of our customers. So let's, let's talk about what you, what you just described there, because a lot of people might, probably don't understand that when you saw that pig, you knew it came from a commodity uh, raised place because you could tell it wasn't raised out in a pasture somewhere. It was raised in a commercial farm. So the guy was, was buying commercially raised, you know, commodity type pigs and sell them to you as if they were at a premium. Yeah. yeah. So the, the hog market was really low at that specific time. They were super cheap. It's enticing. You know, if you want to, if you want to cheat somebody and you know, we're two city kids that were running around, you know, saying we're going to pay a premium if you raise them this way and feed them this way and don't do that, you know, and somebody thought, well, I'm just going to make a quick buck off these guys. And, you know, maybe they did a time or two and we didn't catch it, but we caught it. And if I'm going to put my word behind my product, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that that is 100% what we're getting. And again, I eat it. I feed it to my family. I have 100% belief that this meat is better for me, better for the environment, better for my consumer. So why would I want anything but the best in that system? And, you know, we're, we're not a company that's a discount company. We're not a company that, you know, you're going to get these great, amazing bundle deals with. We do have awesome bundles that you do get a discount for. But, you know, we're about quality. We're about making sure that it is absolutely the best. And you don't need as much. You don't need a three-quarter pound burger. You need a third pound burger and be fine. So let's talk about once you started your, you have a brick and mortar butcher shop. So was that the first, you know, moving from the farmer's market to the butcher shop was your, uh, you know, next step? Yep. And how long before you had the butcher shop, the brick and mortar butcher shop, did you guys say, well, we should start working on an online presence? So online was a little farther down the line. So we, we went from the farmer's market to the butcher shop. And we were at the butcher shop for a few years. And then we ended up um, searching for a slaughterhouse. So that was our next move, was the processing facility. Um, we noticed that there were some inconsistencies. There were some bruising in the wrong ways. So it was something that wasn't in Chris and I's control that could affect the hard work of these farmers that we developed these relationships with. So it was kind of the missing link. And it's it's not a pretty thing. It's not what people want to hear or talk about, but it is a very important step in the process. And there's a lot of really wrong ways to do it. And that's the majority of the way it's done. So Chris and I, being that we're just crazy enough to always be like, we can solve that problem. Um, 
we, we saw the problem and we tried a couple different places and kept on seeing the same results. Wasn't, we weren't feeling satisfied. So we said, you know what, we're going to go out and do it. And we somehow convinced, um, some banks to loan us the money. And we ended up going out and purchasing a processing facility, uh, in Kentucky and started developing even more relationships with people and developing an amazing crew. Um, we, we started with a very, very, very small rough crew. And, uh, we now have an amazing group of people, uh, that work at the, our facility. Two of them are still from the original staff. Um, and one of the people from the original staff now uh, helps run the place. So it's been. Now, that, did you ever think of once you started, you know, putting that processing facility together that you would wholesale out to some other butchers or other, other retailers like that? Or did you say, we're, we're going to keep all this ourselves? We, we originally did just about anything to pay the bills because right. we had very large bank payment that we had to do. <laughs> so we actually used to do custom processing. So, you know, farmer Dave down the road can bring right. beef to us. We'll cut it up for him. Um, and then we also did it for a lot of Nashville people that sold at the farmer's markets. So they knew us from being Porter road. We would sell their products through our butcher shop, but they would also sell at the farmer's market. So we started to develop a lot of great relationships with people that we had known for a while and started giving them a lot more value added items to be able to go sell at the farmer's market and kind of help our farming community around us. Um, and then once that started happening, then people started reaching out to us and be like, hey, can we get this? So that's when we started our wholesale company and started developing um, some great relationships um, we, we've had uh, one guy who had a food truck and now has a food truck in a restaurant that has been with us all the way since the butcher shop. And he's been working with us, uh, Hoss Loaded Burger, um, great delicious burger. But uh, yeah, so all of that kind of just kept on snowballing, snowballing, snowballing. So we started running the wholesale program and then we got to the point to where we, after Christmas, Chris was on the phone with one of his good friends and he was walking through the refrigerator and he was on video and he was showing them and we had just a pile of like terrace majors, pile of flat irons, a pile of pecanas. <laughs> and he was like, this is a shame, you know, cause everybody wanted rib roast, strip roast, tenderloins for Christmas. So we ended up with, we're still going to harvest them. We're not, not going to harvest these great steaks. Right. And, Chris was just sitting there and he was like, this is a shame. We need to do something about this. And it was the light bulb went off and it was like, let's go online. Let's, let's try, let's, let's try to become the Omaha steaks for the, you know, the year 20, you know, 2017, whenever we started it, uh, time, <laughs> you know, yeah, um, I'm sure, it, I'm sure, you know, all that crams in there. It does. That's why, like, I just jumped over it and you were like, wait a minute, you missed like five steps in between what happened in Porter Road. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it all seems, it all seems like yesterday and it all gets crammed in. And, you know, luckily we have such an amazing group of people that most of them have been with us for four, five, six seven years so that's why it really seems like yesterday because i'm like you were there they were like yeah no, i've worked here for six years 
like, oh man. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that moment that, that after Christmas, we have all these amazing butcher cuts, that led Chris to be like, we need to do something, we need to go online. And that was when we kind of met our third founding member, as we call him, Ryan McIntyre. And he came in and he's the complete yang to our yin. And he is digital savvy. He understands that world. And uh, with our heads put together, I feel like we created a pretty amazing website um, that gives people that butcher shop experience, that, that gives them that, that gathering place that gives you recipes. It, you know, if you click on a cut, um, say you click on like a ribeye for beef or something like that, or a Sierra steak. What is a Sierra steak? We click on that. It gives you a little blurb about it. Um, it kind of gets you excited. And if you keep on scrolling down, it tells you where it's from on the beef, where specifically it is. And then we created these cool tags of like how to cook it. What's the best way? What do we think? And then if you keep on going down, you can find out even more about our process and what we do. And that's what the butcher shop has always been. And it's always been about like what, what we don't know shouldn't embarrass us. What we don't know should excite us and try to get us to try different things. And what we always used to do at the butcher shop is, you know, everyone used to start to talk over each other. Like, this is my favorite way to do that. Oh, I like to cook it just a little bit more, char it in this way or add this to it. And, you know, there's no wrong way to do it. Um, there are better ways and worse ways, but, uh, you know, having, having the excitement and cooking and doing it is what it's all about and learning and growing and having that community. And that's what Porter Road's all about, you know? Yeah. And um, so there's nothing, you know, constant except change in this world. So how have you guys, when you first started the website and you just, I guess, threw some stakes up there and said, let's see how this goes. You know, we got all this access picanhas and, you know, terrace majors and flat irons and, 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 so when you first started it, how has the uh, process changed on the website, you know, going forward? Because it looks like you, you now have lamb, you have chicken, you have sausage, you have a, a combination of stuff, but you still, like I'm showing here on the website, you still have stuff will be restocking regularly. You run out of stuff. Yeah. Uh, because you, you are limited, you're limited on what you have that's in, you know, from the farm, correct? So. Yeah, so we have what's limited from the farm um, and what's limited from our four walls. Like we're, like I said, we're expanding, we're growing, we're trying to keep up with demand. Um, and uh, what's really unique and cool about us too is we're a completely vertically integrated system. So, you know, there's times where you're chatting with our customer service on the chat bot on your uh, interface and they'll be slacking me a question and the owner and founder of the company will actually be indirectly responding to people's questions online. Um, so what we do, which is really cool and unique is we cut every single day. So we're constantly cutting meat. So the website is constantly being updated because another thing that makes us very unique and very special is that, we, um, we have a real time inventory. So we're cutting it and as it, as it is cut packed, it gets scanned in and that means it is there. 
and all of our steaks and chops, they get shipped out fresh, which is also yeah. another unique feature. Well, I, I have a bone to pick with you on that because I got the email this morning that this was in stock <laughs> and it's gone already. Well, <laughs> so, we only we had a we had a lighter day and I think they only did 28 beef. So that means you only get you know, 56 tri-tips that day. And you're gone already. And because I got the email this morning, tri-tips are back in stock and I looked now and they're gone. So and I, didn't, actually, I didn't have a chance to order one. <laughs> we, we, uh, so we, we learned from our feedback. So our feedback's not there just to give you a place to uh, complain to us. We no. actually take it to heart. We have meetings every single week. Um, we really take all of that information that's coming back to us and then try to fix those processes. So like even our email list, you got one of those emails because you got shortlisted because you've been on there so long. So we actually won't even send it to the entire group that signed up for it. We'll send oh, it to a group. And of also like on this one, I, I actually, you can sign up for the wait list for that particular product. So if I'm waiting for tri-tip, I can just go right into the tri-tip like I am right here and just hit join the wait list put my email in. And then as soon as you get them like this morning, I, I'm sure I could have ordered, you know, five of them this morning if I got in there in time, but you know, me like an idiot said, well, I'll wait until uh, after I talk to, you know, <laughs> James, later, and maybe I'll order a couple and now they're gone. So, but yeah, that's the good thing about the website is that, you know, since you are, you, you're running on, you know, it's fresh meat. You're not, it's not sitting in a freezer somewhere that, that was processed, you know, a yeah. month ago and you're just selling off of that, you know, bringing in all these, you know, commodity raised cows. I mean, you're literally selling stuff that is just processed, you know, a couple of, you know, or able to cut up and, and sell, you know, I'm sure it's aged and stuff, but once, you know, it's gone, it's gone until the next round comes around. Yeah. Until we're cutting the next day or, you know, so that's why those, so those wait lists, and I appreciate you pointing that out. Those wait lists are incredible because they're, they're product specific. So if you're joining the wait list on a specific product, once it gets restocked, that's when it's going to get shoot you that email. So it's not just going to be a generic email. And like I said, we try to be very, uh, you know, aware of our customers and try to create a good shopping experience because, you know, pork tenderloin or perfect example, there's two per pig. If we process 60 pigs that day, um, you know, you're going to get 120 pork tenderloins. That's not that many in the scheme of it. Um, those will be gone fairly quickly. So what we try to do is make sure that, you know, we trigger the wait list when we know that they're going to be coming. We get it taken care of. Huh, thank you. That picture is wrong. <laughs> That's not where it comes from. <laughs> nope, I'm making a note right now. No, thank you. Look at that. See, always <laughs> learning, always changing. Um, so with that, you know, like we keep on trying to add new features, keep on trying to um, get people, make it easier and make it less um, overwhelming to try to cook things because people who have never tried to cook a pork butt, it, sometimes they feel intimidated by something like that. Right. And it, you know, they shouldn't, number one. And number two, like, people have been feeding themselves since the beginning of time. I think we're going to be fine continually feeding ourselves. 
And it might not be, you know, Thomas Keller's masterpiece the first time you make it, but you still have an opportunity to continue to learn and grow and expand. And then, you know, once people, I feel like get comfortable cooking, they start to find podcasts like yours and start to pick up these tricks and then start to become part of a community that they feel like, okay, these people are going to help me be successful. And that's what Porter Road not only wants to be your provider of meat, we want to be your gathering place. We want to be, you know, where everyone joins in and, you know, on our Instagram, it's super fun. The people that tag the photos and then the, the conversations and the, the relationships that people develop that met through social media on Porter Road. It's, it's a fun community. One of the things that I also love about your website is you have all these different cuts that people, you know, usually can't find at a grocery store, you know, that uh, they might even have a hard time if uh, their butcher uses boxed beef, finding them at, at a butcher shop, unless they, you know, special order them and they have to wait, you know, a couple of weeks for them to get in because they're ordering from a processing center that's, you know, in the next state over, you know, and people don't understand that even butchers have, they buy box beef. It's they're just buying like the subprimals or even the, you know, the primals. And then they're not processing the whole cow. Usually they're, they're getting the parts in and they have to order them from some other place. So, but you have the opportunity here where they can actually go and say, Hey, I want to try a tri-tip. I'm in Florida. So finding a tri-tip locally is hard. It is. Unless you go to a restaurant supply place that, you know, actually has them, you know, sent in uh, because, Usually here it gets thrown into, um, you know, ground beef. They don't take the time to process it. So. Yeah. Shame. It's a shame. Uh, well, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. You know, like, so Chris and I come from cooking backgrounds. So we focus on flavor. We focus on food. We focus on how we're going to do that. And then out of pure respect for the animal and uh, um, respect for all the hard work that the farmer has done, we want to make sure we utilize it to the best of our ability. And by turning the whole thing into ground beef, that's disrespectful. You want to make sure we're pulling out every last piece you can and enjoying it for what it is. And, you know, we do something called seam butchery, which is very unique, which means you're actually following the natural seams of the muscles. And what we do is we pull out all these unique cuts off of every animal and we continue to add cuts all the time. Once we feel like we got the rest of the process down, we try to make it more difficult and make our lives just a little harder, you know? Um, but you know, just off like the sh beef shoulder alone, we pull off cuts that most people don't know about the chuck eye steak, which we call the prince of the grill. Um, the flat iron, which is the second most tender cut in the animal. It's a new cut. It was invented in 2001. Uh, Terrace major, the Sierra steak, the Denver steak, the, um, other steaks that's those are the ones from the shoulder that most people haven't heard of and they're right like, yeah i mean usually people don't because you can't go to a grocery store and find them and i've watched lots of videos on on hand butchery and see where the seams are and how it, it it's literally i don't see some of these guys taking wanting to take the time to do that <laughs> yeah most people don't want to and most you know there's a lot of people out there who just don't have the knowledge because a lot of it is new so even if you're one of those old school butchers that have just a depth of knowledge and all of this experience, you know, some of these cuts are new. Like the, like I said, the flat iron was invented in 2001, the Denver steaks from 2009, you know, it's like the same animal, 
It's not like we changed the animal, but it's way we're cutting it, the way we're doing it. And it, it just makes it different. And, you know, with that, like we at our facility, when we hire people, we generally prefer people with no experience because then we can train you on exactly the way we want it done because it is so different from everybody else in the industry. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things, like I said, I like about your um, you know, website is that if I'm looking for a tri-tip, I know, you know, for me to try to go out to shop from store to store around here, I'll be driving myself crazy trying to find one. It literally, I, I know I can go to the restaurant supply place that's, you know, 25 miles away and maybe they'll have some in stock and maybe they'll sell me some retail if I go there between the hours of one to three, <laughs> you know, it's, it's literally, that's what I got to do to find a tri-tip around here. Or I can go to Porter road and say, Oh, they got some in stock this morning, but now I've missed out, but hopefully they have some tomorrow, <laughs> but I can get it. You know, when they pop up, I can order it and it'll be in my door in, in two or three days. So. Yeah. And fresh, you know, that's thought out. Um, yeah. I mean, our, uh, the, our, our big challenge right now, you know, we've been, we've been growing, we've been uh, going to plan and then the world changed um, as we all know, and demand increased faster than we were expecting. And we never want to do anything to decrease the quality of our product. So we are trying to keep up with demand, but making sure that everything we are doing is exactly the same, if not better than it has always been. Um, yeah. so that's, you know, that's also a challenge because like I said, less than 1% of the animals raised in this country are raised in a similar manner of ours. And we're even more sticklers than most other people. Cause we're not just looking for a buzzword to slap on our label. We're actually looking for a process that is doing something better for the animal and better for the environment, not just a buzzword. Let's touch on that because that brings me to the, hundred percent grass fed, you know, because that's always been a buzzword. People in their mind think if, uh, you know, a cow is a hundred percent grass fed, that that means that it wasn't, you know, commercially raised and, you know, all that doesn't have the hormones and stuff. But me, I, I know a little bit about meat and I know that you can have a cow that's grass fed for most of its life, but the last, you know, four or five, six months where you give it, the right grains to fatten it up. And that's, that's the meat you want. I've had a hundred percent grass fed and it's gamey and it's not marbled and it's tough and yeah. not, not something I really want to eat again, you know, and, and it's not any healthier than a, a grass fed grain finished uh, meat. So yeah. Let's it's, it's very confusing. There's a, there's a lot of misconceptions and it's, just like anything in this world, it started out as a good thing. And somebody was like, Ooh, I can make a bunch of money off this. And then started to, you know, just walk the line of like, what can I get away with? And um, so just like most things in this world, uh, beef in its natural, natural environment is seasonal. So there is a better time to eat animals and a worse time to eat animals. Better time to eat animals and process animals is in the fall when they're fat and they're ready for winter. Um, that's what we traditionally used to do. We used to put them up, we'd hang them, put them in the cellar, have them, you know, and then process them through. So 100% grass-fed in the, you know, the way that 
people think when you say that, that idyllic way would be that you are out on grass, out on beautiful lush pastures, eating grass all year long. But this requires uh, people to become grass farmers, not necessarily cattle farmers because you have to have different types of grass for different types of season. So that way you don't have down patches when there's a drought or it doesn't grow when it's too rainy. So you have to be able to transfer to all these different pastures to make sure that it is right. Unless if you live in a you know, climate that doesn't really change much and it's just super duper grassy, like a New Zealand or an Ireland. Um, so in the States here, it has to be very seasonal, seasonal, or you have to be this masterful grass farmer that you can move these animals to all these paddocks to create a good, consistent, fat animal that's not tough, that's not chewy, that's not super gamey, because that's the majority of what you're going to get if you put an animal out on the grass out back and just let it go. Um, so... What most people do and where majority of our 100% grass-fed beef comes from is either imported, which is majority of the grass-fed beef we eat in this country, or it is put on a supplement like you were talking about. And the most common supplements that people use are things like cottonseed holes. So, you know, the byproduct of production or um, soybean holes you know, something with lots of fiber with really little nutritional value. So then you mix in hay, which you're growing somewhere else and moving in, and then you're feeding them nutrients and things like that. You can also feed them like food scraps. You can feed them things like peanut butter to fatten them up. So then it becomes like, okay, then it's not really grass fed, but maybe it's still out on pasture. But like you said, you can confine them at that point because 100% grass-fed doesn't say anything about confinement animal husbandry. So you can feed them this mixture, feed them the hay, feed them the hulls and the fatteners and the minerals, and then call it 100% grass-fed, which it still is. So that's where majority of it comes from, or it has that little bit of gamey flavor unless if it's harvested at the peak of its season. There are people out there that are just experts at doing 100% grass-fed beef. Uh, it is more expensive because they need to be uh, um, let live longer and it takes a lot more skill and time and care. So the price is so much and it's still gainier because grass-fed beef is naturally higher in those omega-3s, which is why it is healthier for you, but it tastes fishy. And we associate omega-3s with seafood because they're so high in it. So when we get those omega-3s into our meat, like our beef, we as Americans especially, don't like those two flavors necessarily together. So the health benefits that we're looking for are the things that are kind of off putting us in the flavors side of it. So that's why we do what we do, which is 100% pasture raised, out on pasture, not in confinement, walking around on grass, they can eat whatever they want, but they're also fed a, a, a mixture daily. And it's predominantly hay uh, or hay lidge, which is fermented uh, grass, uh, and then a mixture of corn and then whole soybeans, which gives them the fat. It's not a byproduct like most animals are getting, and then minerals and vitamins. Um, so it just makes them healthier and happier. Uh, so long and short, I'm long-winded, which you've probably learned already. <laughs> well, that's good, but people want to hear this stuff because, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, 
when people hear buzzwords like, you know, how many times have I seen something that says it's gluten-free and you know it's gluten-free because there's no wheat in it. So why yeah. would you stick gluten-free on that? Yeah, like some ground beef, gluten-free. Exactly. <laughs> it's like I do. You see that stuff all the time and you just scratch your head and go, they're just using that buzzword for, you know, to make people feel warm and fuzzy. So, yeah. you know, I think people really need to understand from somebody who's in the industry you know, that's not, you know, totally against the, you know, commodity raised meat like you are to understand that not all grain fed meat is bad, you know, and, yeah. and that's what, uh, that's what people have been sold on though, is that grain's bad because it's commodity raised and it's, they just feed them, you know, garbage and you know, it's not true. Yeah. And you know, like you can have good grain fed, you can have bad grain fed, you can have good grass fed, you can have bad grass fed. Um, you know, it's about, it's about knowing where it's coming from and it's, you know, knowing what the philosophy of the company is, which is important. And it's, you know, just about anything in life because most of what we do is digital. Most of what we do is at home nowadays. And, you know, you just have to be able to develop that trust and that relationship. And if it's a company that banks and relies all on buzzwords to live off of, you know, maybe go into that a little more skeptical if they're just super vague with just buzzwords. Because, you know, if it's a company that sells 100% all grass-fed beef, this, that, the other, you know, where, where's it coming from? Because majority of that's going to be from Australia, New Zealand, because that's where I believe it's like 80% or higher of our grass-fed beef is imported. Right. Uh, and then, you know, it's... It's, it's, uh, you're going to deal with that in, in, in any industry, but I know, and like you were saying before that you're in, your uh, business has increased with this whole COVID thing, but it's, it's happened with the, even the grilling side. I've talked to, um, you know, some guys uh, that, um, you know, work for grill makers. Uh, the last couple of podcasts I had, one was hasty bake and one was uh, SNS grills and they're in the same ballpark and people staying home more because of this thing. And they're, you know, getting, awesome cooking more at home, you know, ordering more stuff to be able to cook at home. So I think that um, some of some businesses like yours, you know, where people, Hey, I don't want to go out. I want to order the beef, you know, into my house. So I don't have to leave the house, you know, it's going to help out. And um, you know, but. Absolutely. And hopefully it sticks and people continue right. to do it and people continue to get excited about it. And, you know, a steak that you get at Porter road, you know, a ribeye, you know, it's a 14 day dry age steakhouse style ribeye. You're going to pay, you know, 20 something bucks for it. You go to your fancy steakhouse and you're buying $150 steak because they right. put fire to it. So I know we're, we're kind of running long here, but I want to kind of touch on this one last thing before I let you go. And I don't think a lot of people understand the grading um, that's done Usually when the old, you'll see it at the grocery store, you have prime, you've got choice, you got select, you guys don't do any of that. And could you explain to people who might not understand why that you guys don't have your meat graded like that? Yeah, absolutely. So grading the meat um, is more of a industry focused um, thing that the um, meat companies developed and kind of pushed onto the USDA. <clears throat> and it's, really focused around feedlot beef. So that's the whole grading system is pushing feedlot beef. But as you can see from just the random selection of pictures that you were pulling up, and if you want like real life tutorials, you know, go to social media and you can see what we actually send people. But the, 
the the quality of our stuff is it's a very high quality it has lots of intermuscular fat to it um and when we talk about grading um we're talking about the usda grading system like you were talking about and it's only really done for beef and um what they're looking at is they're judging it by the age of the animal the um, intermuscular fat or the marbling of the animal and the size of the eye and the cap on top of it. Um, so what people are looking for is you want a big, nice eye, a small but good fat cap, not too much, not too little, and then a lot of little dots of intermuscular fat. So what you're focusing on is the more little dots, the better um to where uh what that's gonna do is make it a very juicy delicious fat or juicy delicious steak because of the fat content in it that's not saying a steak without a whole bunch of marbling and fat to it isn't going to be good uh it's just not going to be as fatty um so we don't grade it because that would require us to have a bunch of different um um, skews onto our website and because we purchase from such small farmers we don't want to um, uh, put any burden onto the farmers so the grading system ultimately just uh, punishes farmers for some things that naturally happen within the genetics or naturally happen within the animal you know me and my business partner we are, you know, two guys around the same age, around, you know, the same race, all this, but we're completely two different build sizes. And sometimes that happens with animals. And sometimes one animal likes running up and down the hill more than the other animal. So we don't want to penalize our farmers by if they end up bringing us a choice beef rather than a prime beef, I'm not going to punish them by giving them less money, which is actually what happens. Um, and it creates a system that is developed by people in suits and not people in boots. And it punishes the people that are doing all the hard work. So we like to make it simple for our farmers. We give them a price and we stick to it for about six months. And uh, we feel like the quality and the consistency that they bring us is up to Porter Road standard. And if it wasn't, we wouldn't cut it and put it in the system. We would find another outlet for it rather than sell it online. Awesome. So what about the different breeds of cows? So most of the stuff do you guys get, is it black Angus? Uh, what, what is it? I mean, cause there's other companies out there, they sell, you know, Americanized Wagyu, which, you know, maybe crossbred with other. Yeah. You know, buzzwords, like you were saying, all of its brand, just like black Angus, all that, you know, it's, it's a breed. Angus is a very delicious breed. Uh, what we do is predominantly a brown Angus, um, our farmer that is the one that kind of pushes the entire system uh, thinks that black cows in Kentucky heat get too hot. So he prefers the brown ones. <laughs> and, you know, it's just like those little things that make every step of our system. Like the fact that the first time he told me that I was like, man, I love you. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, like you're, you're worried about, you know, your, your bees out on pasture and like making sure that they don't get too hot. Granted, all of his pastures have tree shades and all that, and they have, you know, the corners that they can go to. But um, 
still the fact of the matter. So a lot of it is brown Angus. There is other stuff mixed in from time to time um, because nothing is completely controlled and majority of it is uh, um, um, naturally done. So we're not artificially inseminating animals to create something specific. We try to keep it as natural as possible. And every once in a while there is, you know, some kind of something in the breed. It happens a lot more with our pigs than it does with our beef. Um, our pigs predominantly breeds are Duroc and uh, Yorkshire, um, two heritage breeds that we like the traits of best. But every once in a while you'll get like a really big fat cap and you'll know that like it has some red wattle blood from somewhere down the line. Um, so you, you'll see these traits and the, the way that we prefer our animals raised, we're willing to deal with those inconsistencies a lot more than the commodity world is that says, you know, if you don't fit into this small little box, I'm going to punish you and you're going to get less money and you're going to have to be the one that pays the price, even though I'm still buying it and I'm still going to make money on it. You're the one that did wrong. And yeah. I, I, I kind of agree with you on the buzzword because I see stuff, you know, Walmart's got, you know, Wagyu beef now and it's, you know, maybe it has 10%, you know, you know, the guy, the, the cow, you know, his father's uncle, you know, was a Wagyu, <laughs> you know, so they can literally, oh, it's Wagyu and you look at it and go, oh boy, you know, a $5 Wagyu steak, really? You know, how, how yeah. did that happen? And, and it's like Kobe, you know, Kobe, you know, they, people abuse that name as well trying to put it on things and um, even snake river farms puts it on stuff i'm like you can't put kobe on something that didn't come from kobe japan what you know i just don't understand why they i understand why they do it they do it to get more money and take advantage of people who don't really know any better and i i'm in the you know the facebook groups all the time with the barbecue and the sous vide and i see it all the time people take a picture of this you know steak at walmart it says wagyu on it and they go Oh boy, Wagyu. And it's like, it's not Wagyu. Okay. <laughs> it's not going to be much better than, you know, the prime that you, you know, get. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it could, it could even be worse. Like, you, you know, yeah. you don't know. And a lot of those, like the, those type of situations that you're in, because lots of people talk about it and they talk about, you know, the price and all of this, you generally in life, you're going to pay for what you get. Right. Um, there are people out there who are trying to scam you. And there are people out there who are just trying to give you a great deal. But majority of time, you're going to pay for what you get. And when you go into those type of places and you're like, oh man, this is, you know, too good to be true. Maybe question it. And, you know, like a lot of those places, sometimes, you know, you might even buy a ribeye from one of those big boxes and it might've been mechanically tenderized or injected with flavorings. Because that's a pretty common thing. And the print is like this big on the package. And, you know, just be aware of that because there are health dangers involved with mechanically tenderized meat and not cooking it all the way. But also, like, you're, you're tricking your taste buds. Yeah. You think what you're tasting is flavor and nutrition naturally occurring, which could be just... Or like you said, with the you know, mechanically tenderized, you're thinking that this is a tender steak where they just pounded in, into it. And Costco does, you know, mechanically tenderize. I don't think they hide that fact. They stick it on there. I was, but, you know, I was yeah. skirting around. 
but they, they, the reason they do that is because they don't wet age anything. They, they take it from their processor and shove it right into the store as quick as they can get it. I, I, yeah, there's so many tricks and stuff that, that people do. And, um, you know, that you just got to understand where you guys are coming from is you, you look at overall quality. You don't use buzzwords. It's, you know, you're going to get something that was, you know, very fresh. If it's in stock, it's in stock, get it. It's fresh. So, um, what else do you want to talk about? Where is the future of Porter Road going? Hopefully changing the world. That's, that's our goal. It's a pretty small mission statement, but uh, we want to, I mean, we want to change the way that meat is thought about and talked about and consumed and purchased. Um, you know, online is the way that a lot of things are going, but you know, we ship in hundred percent recyclable biodegradable packaging. We ship with, uh, you know, two, two day shipping time. Generally, um, you'll get it very fast. We want to be a grocery store alternative. We want to be that butcher shop alternative. Um, I would retire and leave this world a happy man. If I could say that I helped change the way meat was raised in this country because the fact that less than 1% of it is raised in a sustainable and responsible manner is a shame to all of us. Uh, it's a shame to uh, our taste buds that we have to eat that crap and we should respect ourselves and respect our country and respect our uh, fellow citizens enough to uh, start to raise animals in the right way and raise food in the right way and pay the people that do it the right way. Um, and it all starts with, you know, the backyard cook, the person that wants to do it. And, you know, sometimes it's worth it to pay the little extra and smoke one amazing pork butt rather than four. Um, that's, that's one thing that I think, you know, getting back to, we didn't talk much about sous vide or, or what I, what I do, but one of the things that comes up in our, in my groups or people ask me all the time is, well, I took a ribeye and I sous vide it and it didn't come out good. And, a lot of people will discount the fact that the quality of your meat really is important to what you're doing. It's any cooking method is just a cooking method. If yeah. you're starting out with a crappy piece <laughs> of meat, it's going to be a crappy piece of meat. You can try to make it better, but a crappy piece of meat's a crappy piece of meat, no matter what. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And you know, you can do all the tricks. You can do all the, I put, you know, bouillon cube and I can't believe it's not butter and this in wrap your brisket to make it taste good. Or, you know, you can, you can make it actually taste good by starting, like you said, with something that is quality and, you know, really like I love sous vide. Sous vide is one of my favorite things. I was a molecular gastronomy nerd when, uh, you know, in like 2008, 2009, when it was huge and I was still in the kitchens and like, we used to try to sous vide everything. I, I think there is a place for it and I think they're in the place for it. And if you have a high quality, delicious, amazing ribeye, like from Porter Road, you don't necessarily need to sous vide it because it's gonna be aged, it's gonna be tender, it's gonna be good. Um, and I, you know, I love sous vide to help in, enhance products, like make it something that it couldn't be on its own and then bring it to the next level. Like, yeah. uh, you know, sous vide a Denver steak for like two days and then charring it on a grill and then you can like squish it. And it's like, just, it's I, I, I do it with top round because top round, you know, London broil, whatever you want to call it, 
is usually tough no matter what you do to it. So I'll, I'll, I, that's my wife's favorite. There's no fat on it. So, but I can take that, you know, top round and sous vide it for 24, 48, 36 hours and get various degrees of tenderness. I can do it for 24 and it's more like a strip steak. I can do it for 48 to, you know, 36 to 48 and it's more like a filet in tenderness wise and still be in the medium to medium rare range. So, I mean, that's things like that that I use sous vide for. Everybody thinks that, oh yeah, it's great for just to cook a regular steak. And it's like, well, that's not even close to what sous vide can do. Yeah. It can make a medium rare brisket and, and then you can put it on the smoker and get some smoke and bark to it. And you have a medium rare brisket that you couldn't get make any other way. So, I mean, it's things like that, that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I try to focus people on is get away from cooking a steak with sous vide because a good steak is going to be a good steak, no matter how you cook it, if you cook it right, mm -hmm. but use it to take some things that maybe you couldn't, you know, that, that you can make better by using the, the methods and then by actually, you know, combining the, the smoking or grilling or, uh, you know, barbecuing with sous vide. So have you guys ever thought of, you know, opening up a franchises or, um, you know, more brick and mortar butcher shops? Or, I mean, has that come to your mind at all? Or is it strictly going to be the online growth? Um, well, Chris and I are always trying to scheme up new things with trying to figure out how to encourage people and keep on pushing people. We have some things in the works. Um, Obviously, everything that was in the works in January is way different than it is now. Everything's um, changed. Yeah, so our, our year plan, you know, like we spend a lot of time with projections and forecasting and trying to figure out where we're going to be, where we're going to fit in. Um, you know, it all revolves around the one goal of trying to change the world. Um, so whatever, you know, if it's more brick and mortar places, so that way we can keep on encouraging people to cook and get out of their comfort zone, you know, we'll go down there. But um, right now for the rest of the year, my, my focus and my goal is efficiencies within our systems across the board and continuing to try to create more products that are available for our customers. Because as you've seen, and as our customers will know, um, Things go fast. They get restocked daily. Um, middle of the week is by far the best time. That's when we're most stocked up. Middle of the day, middle of the week. I would say that's when that's when you should try to be shopping. That's one more thing I wanted to kind of touch on. Something like my desk is falling apart. Um, <laughs> I don't wanted to ask you. I should have asked this earlier, but you just started recently um, offering subscription boxes and. Is that kind of where the, the, did your customers kind of start demanding that because of some of the other companies out there that offer that like butcher box or what have you, and they've seen yeah. that and they, they kind of ask you to, to offer something that way. So we're unique because of our vertical integration and what we do um, that we are an a la carte company, which makes us again, very unique and different from everybody else who the other guys are built on subscription you have to be there for a year and that's the only way they make money. Um, we wanted to be an alternative to a grocery store. So we wanted to give you the flexibility and through our, you know, two years, two plus years being online, we've learned that people do want subscription. So we offered it as a service to our customers. So that way they can put it on, um, not necessarily as our only lifeblood. So we do it, uh, 
for the convenience. And we're actually in the process of working with our developers, trying to figure out how to make that a better experience too. Um, we're, we're working on the process. It's not there yet, but we're working on the process of being able to easily add items that are currently in stock to your subscription by sending you an email and saying, hey, your subscription's gonna get filled next week. Would you like to add anything? And you know, always trying to develop our, our digital team is incredible and they are very reactive to what our customers tell us. They're very reactive to make sure. And then, you know, just like our, our emails are very specific towards what you're doing, you know, towards what you're buying. We try to create that process like at the butcher shop where we used to, you know, take your chuck roast and then write a recipe on the butcher paper and then say, here you go, enjoy. Well, that to me just tells me you're listening to your customers. So um, that, that those are, you know, what's important to you is what your customers are asking you for, because I would never, you know, myself personally sign up for a, you know, subscription box, but I know that there's people are, they like the convenience of it. They like the, you know, Hey, I know every month I'm going to get this in this box is going to come on this day or what have you. But, um, but just, like I said, it, it just tells me that you guys are always looking at what your customers are asking for. So but, uh, all right. Well, I want to thank James Pisker for the co-founder of the Porter Road online meat purveyor. And um, thanks again for being on. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we hang this up? We've been on a good hour. So I just, yeah. um, I don't want to keep you all day. I just, I could talk about meat all day long. So. Me too, man. No, I love it. I, you know, hopefully, hopefully some of your, uh, your listeners and followers come check us out at porterroad.com. Uh, you know, we appreciate all the help in uh, trying to change the world and your taste buds will thank you. Uh, I'll have all the links below. They can uh, go directly to your website and check out everything that you have to offer. And um, thanks again for being on. And I'll see you again on the next Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Well, I want to thank James Peisker again for being on of Porter Road. Make sure you check out the link to their website below. Also, make sure you follow the Fire and Water Cooking uh, Facebook page, group, Instagram. And you can also find this podcast on our YouTube channel and also on our Facebook page. I'll see you again on the next Fire and Water Cooking Podcast.